Yeah, I've got you loud and clear. We lost Dylan. He's frozen. I know. Aw. Hi, sorry about that. I got kicked myself out, I think. Larry, are you ready? We are ready. episode 95 of the EdTech Loop podcast. My name is Larry Burden and she'll choose Yoshi over Mario every time. It's Danielle Brostrom. For the first time ever on the EdTech Loop podcast, we are joined remotely by the heroes of Michigan High School Esports, Dylan Chapman and Ted Kidd. Before they joined us in our endless quest to level up, we've already discovered this week's moment of zen. Time passes, people move. Like a river's flow, it never ends. A childish mind will turn to noble ambition. Danielle has taken over the cooking duties and has barred me from the kitchen so she could remotely prepare this week's meat of the show. The rise of esports. So, Ted, can you give us a little introduction on who you are? Hi, uh, Ted Kidd. I uh, work at Pinckney Community Schools. I'm the Director of Technology Operations, which is kind of a glorified um, network janitor job. And Dylan? I'm a high school social studies teacher at Grass Lake High School. Tell me, what is eSports? eSports is competitive online video game play. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, and it's being played at everywhere from the high school even middle school level, all the way up to collegiate and professional play. How long have esports been going on here in Michigan? At the high school level, um, it's this is kind of the fourth year in our experience. We've wow. we've seen uh, some competitive tournaments uh, happen at Lawrence Technical University. They started that about three years ago, and then just recently, Dylan, myself, and a, and a few others in the state of Michigan have uh, formed a organization called MICEF or Michigan High School Esports Federation um, to allow all high school uh, esports programs to compete um, against each other for free. Nice. What kind of benefits are the kids getting from esports? Like how how are you selling this to families? Because I guarantee you there's probably a lot of moms that are like, no, that's not a real thing, honey. Go back to doing what you were doing before. Some of the things that are like life skills or lessons that students learn are things like communication, teamwork, sportsmanship. In a lot of ways, it's like traditional sports and in a lot of other ways, it's not. But they learn a lot of the skills that they would on the football field, but in just a different environment. So um, some things that are different that I think that they learn um, are things like self-learning. They're definitely motivated internally, like by themselves to push themselves further. The players participate as coaches a lot more than in traditional sports, and that gives these students a a sense of leadership and control. The thing about esports versus uh, traditional sports, because you kind of mentioned uh, that as well, is the that esports can be you know played all year round. So kids don't just play for you know a six week period and then leave. Um, some of them will play all year round. Um, so they really get a sense of community when they enter an esports program. As far as communities that are in doubt that esports is something to participate in or worthwhile. I would just point to the major professional competitions that have been happening. Um, Just recently, the Fortnite competition where a 16-year-old took home the biggest prize purse in professional sports history of $3 million um, to say that esports is just kind of a either a flash in the pan or 
um, something that shouldn't be taken seriously, I would point to those major competitions, such as the League of Legends competitions that um, sell out arenas like Little Caesars Arena, Madison Square Garden, week after week. People are all in. If people don't know yet, they're just kind of out of the loop and they'll soon recognize that esports is probably here to stay and it's going to take a bigger and bigger role in the sports field. This kind of is a side note. The benefits of being a collegiate esports player is it's not governed by the NCAA. It's governed by a, a different organization called NACE. And they had specifically written the rules that they don't have the amateurism standard where they can make they can only make less than a dollar on their likeness. So a big part of esports revenue for individuals is their streaming and um, their online like influencer presence. So they're allowed to make all that money. They're allowed to play professionally, and they're also allowed to get scholarships to go to school at the same time. That's amazing to me that a 16-year-old could bring home a prize like that and that we're selling out arenas like that for for gaming. Did you ever see this? Did, did, did you visualize this happening someday? I think esports has gone through a couple generations of evolution. Um, you could probably take it back to the days of Madden and um, those kind of competitions. Super Smash Brothers, which is still a game that's played, um, was one of those original kind of big major tournament play games. Those are still being played all around the country, and including in places like Michigan, where the prizes can get up there into the thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the size of the contest. So, Dylan, really, you can date this back to, you know, in the day of Pac-Man, in Miss Pac-Man, where oh, yeah. kids would come together and have these little mini tournaments at the local arcade to see who's the best. This is basically dated back to, to a, a place where video games have started, you know, ColecoVision and Atari and uh, all those game consoles um, lended themselves well to the, the local competition. I'd say, if anything, it's just becoming more widespread across age groups and demographics. And now with the internet and you know, fast internet speeds, uh, playing from home is definitely an option for a lot of kids. And that's how they practice and get better. This is amazing. What kind of practice do you think um, your esport athletes are, or what kind of practice times are they putting in? So in the Pingy District, we... Uh, let them practice twice a week, two hours a night after school, and then they have matches twice a week. Sometimes they'll they'll stay a little bit later to 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 play against each other or do another scrimmage online. So we have the kids in after school two hours a night, pretty much four days a week. Uh, same here with my program. Um, I'm actually in my esports lab right now. We were able to. Um, commandeer a underutilized space and uh, we have practice here after school four days a week we have matches twice a week and um, one of the benefits I would say for families is that it, it does help to manage screen time for the students like when they're obligated to play they're not as apt to get on once they get home they kind of have gotten it out of their system in a controlled environment and they move on to doing the things that they're supposed to do when they get home yeah like family time homework <laughs> good yeah. we're advocating balance <laughs> mm -hmm. what is the coach's role during those practices what, what does the coach do to encourage i'm gonna say most schools don't have coaches they have advisors okay. and my job is as an advisor is to just make sure they're in the right games they're participating with their own team. Occasionally, uh, we'll, we'll look at uh, replay game footage to see what went right, what went wrong. When you study the film, just like in football, you can 
see where you made mistakes and get better. And then there's a lot of organizing that has to happen with these esports programs. So things like fundraising and just communicating with parents, um, making sure that um, athletic directors and superintendents and building principals know what is going on. That's important. Communication is key. Yeah, the administrative back end definitely takes the bulk of what the adult's responsibility is. When it comes to coaching, most of the advisors don't have the hundreds and hundreds of hours of gameplay experience that the players themselves have, which is why player coaches and captains um, play a different role than they do in traditional sports. And there's almost more responsibility and leadership on their shoulders because of that, which is, in my opinion, all good. You said that you have a lab at your school. What, what, what kind of hardware needs do you have to get started? Ted could probably talk about the technical side of this, but it definitely varies from school to school. Some schools are ready to go. All they have to do is kind of like turn the lights on and they're able to do it. Some schools will have to have bring your own equipment for a time period until they're able to establish funding or get the resources that they need donated in whatever capacity. The technical um, side of things, depending on the games that, that your school wants to play, typically have to have at least six computers and six is the number of machines needed for the game called Overwatch. With a team of Overwatch, you need pretty high-end machines. I mean, you don't need... Um, you don't need to buy $2,000 desktops or anything. But, for example, in Pinkney, we got a Black Friday deal last year and picked up 12 machines for $530 each. So depending on where you look for the deals and specials, you can really pick up uh, what you need um, relatively cheaply. Thankfully, we, we were able to get a loan from our athletic department to get us started. In lieu of buying computers, you can also subscribe to a service called Shadow Gaming. Um, I don't want to advertise for them, but uh, Shadow Gaming is a service that allows anybody to uh, create an account, and essentially you log into their their account. Um, all the computing is done in the cloud at their facilities. And they essentially stream you what you're doing online. It's a neat service. Unfortunately, it's $20 per month per account. So it's kind of a pricey investment. But if you don't have the resources available to get computers, it's, a, it's an option for schools. There are some schools that are sharing um, spaces. Uh, so CAD lab machines are typically a good way to use an area for a multi-purpose. So CAD labs definitely have the, typically have the horsepower needed to to play these games. At my school, we're repurposing some robotics laptops that had 3D rendering abilities, which gave us the computing power to run the games at a decent setting. But yeah, cloud-based computer um, gaming services, Shadow is one, NVIDIA, which is a graphics card producer. They also have another one. That one's currently free. Um, if schools wanted to experiment with just one season of league play, it would be a cheap way to dabble. But long-term, I think building your own machines is probably the most cost-effective, and you can incorporate some hands-on computer science learning with what Ted has done to update those computers long-term. They're not going to go out of date, so to speak. Um, they can just be updated, which is, I would say, um, a cheaper one of the sports to participate in if you think about the equipment costs for other traditionals. Now, you guys have mentioned the games a couple of times. Um, talk to me about the games. How are the games chosen? Do you choose the games? Are there multiple games? How does that all work? So with our high school league, we've chosen to go with teen rating and below. And what we're trying to do is mirror what colleges and universities are playing. 
and what the colleges and universities are doing is they're mirroring what the professionals are playing. Uh, it's not to say that that's the end goal for us is to produce professional players, but we want to open up a dialogue between colleges and universities and high schools and um, give an avenue to students that aren't typically given those opportunities to get scholarships for athletics. The teen rating, and I want to call it milder, is important for schools um, because if we were to go to a rated M for mature um, type of a rating for some of these games, you're looking at games with a lot of graphic violence, um, bloody, gory, um, realistic weaponry. To expose kids to it at a high school level, I think, is um, right now irresponsible, um, only because we don't know how communities will react to it, first of all, and your administration will shut you down (laughs) Um, if if you do that. So at this point, it's not a battle I want to fight at at my school. So we definitely stick to the the T rating. Now, Dylan, you mentioned scholarships. Um, What kind of opportunities are available here here in Michigan or beyond, but what kind of opportunities are available for these kids that are starting with you in the MISAF? So I'd say that there's probably going on a dozen schools that offer varsity programs, which is scholarship opportunities for esports. Most of those games are the games that we're playing in our league. That spectrum of games could change and will will change with those changes. Schools like Davenport University, Aquinas College, Western has a major esports lab and uh, arena. They're working on getting their scholarship program in motion. Um, Surrounding states, especially in the Midwest, Great Lakes area, have kind of been at esports for a while longer. So they have opportunities outside of the state and actually also in Canada. There are schools that offer scholarships. And if you have an athlete, you know, your typical multi-sport athlete 4.0, who's also a top tier game player in esports, they're kind of picking and choosing what schools that they want to go to. So I have a student who fits the bill on all those um, describers that I just mentioned, and he's literally just getting hounded by college recruiters for scholarship opportunities where they're matching um, half of his tuition, and then he can, on top of that stack, is academic scholarships. So nearly a full ride to Division two, Division one schools. I want to make sure we, we mention all the schools in Michigan that offer scholarships for esports, um, Siena Heights University, Mm-hmm. Jackson College, Elma College, Scots. North, Northwood University, um, Aquinas College, Davenport University, and soon Michigan Tech. Why are colleges, I, I mean, and businesses looking for these esports players? <laughs> uh, so colleges have uh, seats to fill. Um, we, we had just been up to Northwood University to tour their campus, tour their e- esports facilities for our, our playoffs for the fall and um, met with their uh, esports head coach. And he was just saying the university's tuition is down. They have seats to fill, and um, they're trying different ways to get kids to come to their college. I think in Michigan, we've we've kind of had this population drain uh, since the, the last recession in 2007-ish, and um, all the people that moved away took their kids with them. I think it's it's really had an adverse effect on things like education. So Northwood is doing anything and everything they can to get kids in those seats. And esports is is just the next evolution of trying to entice you know ten kids from this population, ten kids from that population. If you get ten here, ten there, in a lot of different places, now all of a sudden you've made up for that that loss. And you're pulling from a diverse 
background of students too from all over the state because the students that play esports transcend different demographics and they're all interested in the same sorts of things, um, usually like STEM related fields. So those jobs are in high demand and jobs in computer science in Michigan, um, there's a huge skill gap when it comes to workers. So trying to entice those kids to come together with other like-minded students to become future partners or, or collaborators on the next app or whatever it might be is what colleges and universities are trying to attract so they can put that quill in their hat of alumni that have been successful. Yeah, as, as far as businesses are concerned, um, I think they've already found out that the the students that are interested in these boards typically have a stronger background in the STEM, STEAM areas. So they're looking at potential engineers and um, maybe even graphic artists, video production people. Some of those people that are creative but have like a solid knowledge of math and science and and let's not forget to mention too that the united states military are doing the same thing they're they're actively recruiting esports students as well and it's got the 21st century skill set that businesses are looking for when it comes to people who are remote who are working together and problem solving towards a, a common goal being communicative, being um, adaptable all of those things you learn in game and also translate well into the office space. Quite a few connections to ISTE, which we talk about as well in the tech world. So is gender equity an issue in esports? And if so, <laughs> what do you what are you guys doing to help recruit some diverse people? I mean, I think there's definitely a stigma and a stereotype that your typical gamer is a 15-year-old boy. But uh, research shows that men and women of all age groups play games in some capacity. I mean, look at your phone. You probably have some game on there that's just a casual type of play, but almost everybody is a gamer, even if they don't know it. Bringing people from that kind of casual play to competitive is what we try to bridge the divide on. Um, in my program, we have quite a few girls. And because you're a female in the esports world, you're kind of given an inflated profile when it comes to college recruitment. So I use that as kind of um, something that says like, hey, you're a big fish in a small pond when it comes to being a female in this field because STEM fields also need females at this time too. So it's just a way to connect the dots to say, this is a high demand, high, highly lucrative field of work. And here's some pathways to get you more familiar with. So in, at the Pinkney eSports program for our fall season, we have two girls that are playing out of 16 total uh, students. Um, so there's definitely a gender equity gap that, that we're seeing. We try to promote the girls as much as possible, um, like on social media, um, especially last year when we had two students that got scholarships to to colleges and one of them was a was a girl and we did everything we could to make sure that her profile was was featured on our social media site just saying there are opportunities for for women in this uh in this area and as a as a tech director i don't have the skills needed <laughs> personally to to know how to um, bridge that gap and but i'm always looking for ways to for people to tell me, hey, try this or try that. Um, and I'm very receptive to it because I know there is a, a gap there. So this sounds amazing. And already I'm thinking that my uh, my kids need to do this. Um, do, you, do you need to be a, a gaming superstar to join a team? 
in in Pingney, uh, you just have to be a, a body that shows up and, and plays. Uh, we do have a pay to participate fee, unfortunately, only because our district doesn't fund it out of their general fund. Anybody that's willing, able, and even if they're not able, we, we try to accommodate um, things like physical disabilities and, and handicaps as, as much as possible. So, yes, anybody, anybody can do this. So at, the, at the lower levels, you know, elementary, middle school, the first thing they can do is, is to get involved with Minecraft. Uh, I think Minecraft is an excellent entry point for eSports. Right. And Minecraft licenses are free for Michigan K-12. Are there any interesting new developments happening with your program or your league that you'd like to share? Our playoffs. I'm excited about our playoffs. So we're making networking connections with different universities around the state, and our playoffs will be held December 7th at Northwood University. Um, we also have lined up our spring and winter playoffs as well at different universities across the state. All of our players are from all across the league are welcome to come and mingle with other students with similar interests, do some casual play and find out who the best in the state are. We've had a lot of schools that have reached out to us to contact us and mm -hmm. they just want to know how to get started. Just yesterday, I got a call from, uh, I think Menominee. Menominee, ISD. yes. The ISD reached out to me yesterday, and we had a pretty good discussion about how um, all of their school districts up there could get started in esports. So it's nice that um, we're having an impact, not just you know in the population center of Michigan, but up in the Upper Peninsula, where you know kids might not have the the same opportunities available. So from what I've heard, it's the principals of the high schools that had this conversation, um, trying to get the ISD to help them. It's, it's nice that the ISD is taking a leadership role to, to get things like that started. What advice did you give them? I'm curious, how do high schools get started with all this? Because yeah, this is amazing and we should all be doing it. Depending on what area you want to focus on, you, you want to talk to both teachers and technology professionals. Um, it seems like the, the tech people are needed to, to, get things going to provide the technical expert expertise. But really, if you want to do this, you have to get buy-in from either superintendent, athletic director, principal, and you have to have those stakeholders kind of on your side because if they're not, then your, your program's doomed. Then you have to make sure that you have enough student interest to run a program. Certain schools in Michigan that have built esports programs but can't get the kids to, to actually show up and play, which is bizarre in my mind, but it has happened. So if you build it, they won't necessarily come. <laughs> um, I would say first is kind of take the temperature of the school. See if there's an interest for it. If there is, find an advisor who's willing to dedicate a lot of time and a lot of patience to starting a program. You definitely have to get in touch, like Ted said, with your technical support team, because this is a lot of what I'm doing here is out of my skill set. We have a technical support staff member on our high school campus who helps me out almost on a daily basis to jump hurdles with connections, updates, and equipment all the time. Beyond that, organization, communication with the community on what you're doing, and buy-in from the top down. The final steps would be make sure you have the equipment or the service to, to run the program and join a league. How long is the competitive season? What kind of a commitment are we talking about? So for the MySef um, League, our seasons are anywhere between six to eight weeks um, with a playoff. It varies based on the participation we get and the number of divisions that we have to kind of assemble. I believe it's eight weeks. Okay. So 
this season we're playing two games, which are Super Smash Brothers Ultimate and Overwatch. We play on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That ran from about October 1st until mid-November around that area. And then after Christmas break, we're going to have a winter season that will run from after Christmas break till right before spring break or so. And then a spring season that runs from after spring break till just near summer. So different games throughout. Um, Depending on interest, we might add more games in. But like Ted said, the length of the season is really determined by the number of participating teams across the state. So schools have had multiple Super Smash Brothers teams and multiple Overwatch teams. It's been going really smooth. Yeah, for our our first season this fall, we've had 12 schools participate, which is incredible uh, when we compare that to other states surrounding us and what they said their numbers were for their first seasons. So in Super Smash Brothers, we have 25 teams from those 12 schools. In Overwatch, unfortunately, we only have 11 teams. We have Mm -hmm. one school that that didn't want to participate in Overwatch, and that's okay. This is our first season of our first year of operation, and schools have been signing up as the season's been underway. So I imagine next year we'll have a much better turnout. And even next season with the games that we're playing, we'll have a better turnout as far as number of schools. I keep hearing those same two games being talked about. I keep hearing Super Smash Brothers and Overwatch. What is it about those two games that either coaches are interested in or kids are interested in or why those two? The kids are definitely interested in Super Smash Brothers right now. It is the hot game. Um, There are not just our league running it, but there's uh, tournaments popping up at colleges. Uh, like every other weekend, we see colleges running a Super Smash tournament. It's, it's a very hard. casual social game, but it can also be extremely technical. It's like a game that you can play with your grandma and then a game that you can play with you know, the most professional of players. So it appeals to a wide variety of players. Um, and then Overwatch is a team-based strategy kind of capture the flag type of game, defend the defend an area kind of game with a lot of communication that's necessary and character types. That game, I can see how that is a feeder program into the U.S. military. The United States Army eSports team has an Overwatch team, that, and they're always on Twitter <laughs> talking about how to do certain things. They create videos for, for other players. It's really a cool program. What do you uh, hope for in terms of the future of your program or this league? So I just hope for it to expand further beyond to incorporate more schools, of course. Kind of the vision and mission that we have for uh, MySEF is to make sure that esports is something that's viable for Michigan K-12. We have applied for our nonprofit organization status, so we want to make sure that we are able to find sponsorships and partnerships with businesses so that we can provide opportunities for students. Some of the things that we we were thinking about were providing mini grants for schools that can't afford to start esports to give them that initial capital to maybe get a few machines and, and get going. Right now, we just have to focus on getting started. I'd like to see a middle school program emerge as well. If somebody wants to take the reins on that, work with us to create interest at the middle school level and start building those skill sets. So that way we have just, you know, just like the other traditional sports, they have middle school football and basketball and baseball. If we can extend that down to the middle school level for esports, that'd be great. The more schools we get, we've got regional play, some interstate play because Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, they all have esports leagues as well. And we've been piggybacking off of what works for them to create the league that we have now. Just because it's a sit down uh, competition 
doesn't mean that it's necessarily a event or sport that doesn't include some activity. One of the things that that high schools right now are doing is looking at the um, psychological nature of esports and and how to make sure kids are in the right mindset to to play. We've been looking at physical fitness programs and, and regiments with our conditioning coach in Pinckney. Unfortunately, we couldn't do it this year because our athletic director told us, hey, your kids need to have physicals in order to do some of this stuff. So right now we just have them kind of walking around the school in between matches just to, you know, kind of get loose, uh, clear their heads. Some schools are doing some sort of like meditative yoga in between sessions. Some schools run kickball tournaments um, on the weekends to, to balance activity with mental kind of activities and in gameplay there's stats out there that show that players heart rates get up into the 120s and their their blood is pumping and they're excited so it's not like a couch potato type of thing it's a very edge of your seat kind of activity and really containing excitement and keeping a cool head is part of the challenge of esports and that's also a translatable skill into the office place which is trying to keep a cool head while trying to focus on your end result in a stressful environment. There's a local food pantry in, in the Pinckney area that we always make sure that we have a fundraiser to benefit them. Um, and it's all about the giving back type of mentality. Always looking at ways to give back um, is, is something that the esports community as, as a whole has done. Um, there's organizations like Gamers for Giving, um, the gamers outreach. There's a program that started in Saline, actually, Saline, Michigan, where gamers go around with portable consoles to the children's hospital in Ann Arbor and just play video games with them. So the esports world is definitely all about giving back. Even if they haven't hit this kind of superstar status, it gives players a platform to make their mark in the world. And this is the stuff that I love. And this is why I think this podcast is really important because I, I feel like some people, if they don't understand it, they dismiss it. It's, it's just kids playing video games. I don't understand why this is, why this is athletic or why this is good or, but all of the things that the kids are learning while they're playing these games, it's, those are transfer, transferable to any industry in college. And we want the kids to do these kinds of things. Because of the the learning that can happen, having the adults in the room is the important step to make sure that they are getting the things um, taught to them that they need to be. Simple things like not getting upset when you lose a, lose a match, you know, teaching them sportsmanship. Mm-hmm. Those are the skills that they need to have because if they get upset while they're at work and they break a keyboard or <laughs> throw a mouse, it could get them fired. So we want to make sure that we, we teach them those skills like they have in any other traditional sport. Except for we can also offer digital citizenship skills when communicating virtually with other schools and teams. So um, how to communicate on a sportsman-like level with other with other players. And when we have hang-ups and problems, how to resolve those issues in a negotiated, compromising way. It's good for the students to see that modeled by the advisors. And it's also nice to see the students do that. I think those are the, the types of skills that you want to promote to kids in your area. That's like the, the core of why all these schools are doing these things is, is to teach those skills. So <laughs> It feels like this is about to blow up and you guys have done a ton of work getting this started in Michigan. A ton of work is very much an understatement here. There has been so much work involved to get this going. It's It really blows my mind about how much each one of our, our member schools have done just getting started, 
how much our board has done to um, make this a reality. Um, I give everybody that's involved a ton of credit for just participating, um, having some input, writing the rules for games, developing a, a policy handbook, driving to different places to have meetings with each other just so that everybody's on the same page. It, it's been a lot of work, but it's also been fun. And it's been a 100% grassroots effort based on a non-profit, not-for-profit sort of model that's completely focused on student experience and student outcomes. Larry's handing me questions as we speak. <laughs> is the oh, is there MHSAA involvement with esports? They're kind of in a sit and wa- uh, sit and wait sort of pattern right now. What they would want to do if they were to do something like this is they would probably try to get somebody to break the ice on this and do exactly what we're doing. Um, we've tried to write our rules and policies in line with their rules and policies so that way when they do take it on that there's no you know reinventing what esports is so that way the transition's just really smooth we've actually, to reach we've out actually reached out to uh the mhsaa to gauge their interest and tell them about what we're doing there is the reality that we're facing that they may not want to ever do esports in which case we're you know building the foundation for high school esports in Michigan right now and that wouldn't be a bad thing it also wouldn't be a bad thing if they did take it over as long as we were able to have some input and provide the the framework and structure to allow that to happen right because we 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 kind of know what works now so they'd definitely be seeking guidance from somebody who's been through it already so we're we're definitely willing to work with them whenever they're ready to take on esports as part of the Michigan High School Athletics Association umbrella. We just want to get people involved. We want to get schools involved. We want to get students um, excited about this. And um, it gives them the opportunity to, you know, learn. Um, gives them the opportunity to have potential scholarships in college. I've seen not only do they have to hold themselves to the academic standards of eligibility requirements as far as um, what our school policy is based on, but their attitude towards school, I've seen it change. I've seen their focus pick up because I've built that relationship with them through esports. And then I'm sure that's translating in other classes as well. At Perry High School in Perry, Michigan, uh, Zach Garner uh, runs that program there along with his desktop technician, Josh. Um, And they have a really high free and reduced rate in their school. So one of the things that that they've done is um, they've gotten a after-school meal program for their kids. Just federally funded. Federally funded, yeah. Fully supported to pay the staff and buy the food. And now they're serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner at their school. And they have a great after-school activity, which is esports. He's also been able to acquire some Title IV funds for his program to actually buy things. Just because he has a high free and reduced population doesn't mean that his kids can't have all the nice things that every other school district um, can and should have. So he's been buying gaming chairs and upgrading his computers, buying gaming monitors with a high free and reduced population. You have kids that just don't care about school. They're more interested in in figuring out where their next meal is coming from. They might have situations at home that they don't want to have to deal with, but have to deal with anyway. So he's trying to make it an atmosphere where kids can come and be in a safe environment. Make friends, learn how to deal with frustrations in a controlled environment it's great also get them involved in school so that their grades are high enough to actually compete he's had a couple of kids that were failing that he's just told them hey you have to you know meet the minimal requirements to be part of this and 
thankfully they did. And um, I think that's a testament to how esports can affect kids. If esports can help a kid graduate high school, you know, mission accomplished. If they can get a scholarship on top of that. Icing on the cake. Exactly. I don't want to jinx myself, but I haven't really seen a downside of esports yet. So where do we go if we want to learn more about MyStuff or we want to get started? So the MyStuff website is mihsef.org. You can email info at mihsef.org and somebody will answer any questions. All of our rules, there's some technical documents, policy handbooks. Um, how to, the how to start a esports team PowerPoint presentation on there. We're uh, developing more and more documents as resources for, for schools, but the, the website is really the, the hub and spoke of, of my stuff right now, of where you find any and all the information that we have. Awesome. What is your Twitter for those of us who need to know? I think it's just at my stuff. Very easy. Perfect. Honestly, guys, myself and and in your work, you're providing some amazing opportunities to Michigan's kids. So thank you. This is awesome. We're glad to do it. Definitely. So in closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPSLOOP. At Brostrom DA. Um, subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, and Spotify, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Leave a review. We love the feedback. Thanks for listening and inspiring. That was fantastic.